Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. I co-founded this high-impact creative agency over 15 years ago. We deliver marketing that matters to our clients through our three-pillar approach. Number one, research that delivers actionable insights. Two, creative that attracts and engages new customers. And three, which is the backbone of our client success, the people, process, and technology that ensure efficient, consistent, high-quality results. We have great ideas and incredible creative, which is expected from a national agency. What makes us different is that we also simplify workflow, use technology to speed up projects, and recommend activities that achieve higher returns. There is a mountain of work that happens behind the scenes to produce what our clients take for granted, and that's exactly how we want it. Because great creative combined with well-organized operations is why we have such long-standing relationships. For example, Honda Canada has renewed their contract with us annually for the last 12 years. Our clients are market leaders, so they're incredibly competitive. Efficiency, performance, and consistent results are the only way to get to the top and to stay there. If you're not getting the consistent results you need, I can help. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or check out clearmotive.ca. Hello and a warm Collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Ms. Shannon Vandermulen. How are you doing, Shannon? Great. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Tyler. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And uh, this will air sometime later in the year, but this is the first episode of the year. So happy new year. We're rolling in. We're rolling. We're rolling hard and fast. And 2024 is here and it's, 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 it's around us. And I'm quite excited about it. And I, I don't know what's, if you, I've got, there's a lot of excitement around the city. This might be three months from now. So when it comes out or two months, but I'm seeing a lot of positivity in the business market right now. And with everyone I know in business, what's, what's your crystal ball right now, considering we're like three days in so far? Well, you know, I, I think I'm going to be saying happy new year all month. I'm not, I'm not going to stop till the end of January. I, I love Love it. I, I feel a great sense of optimism in Calgary as well right now. It is it is very positive, and the the, the recession that we've been going through, I think, from a North American perspective, is more about talking about the recession, depending on which yes. market you're in. I do have friends in other markets, and I do feel we are in a very fortunate cycle right now in Calgary where things are positive, and due to some diversification. So let's 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 talk about that. This <laughs> myself my my planted segue. You are the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Waitwell. So we've had um, Steve on uh, episode 371. So we'll, we'll do a little bit of what's Wait Well is about, but I want to get really into your journey and, 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 and so much about what you guys have been through. But let's start with letting people in. What is a Wait Well? What are you all about? What do you do? What problem do you solve in the world? Let's go from there. Well, what we really do is, is make service better. You know, I think there's there's a general consensus that service is broken and people, you know, most people believe that service used to be much better than it is now and that somehow it's fallen off the rails. Um, people dread going to the bank. They dread going to the motor vehicle registry office. Um, any, anywhere that they're going to have to get one-to-one service, they tend to dread it because they know that the wait's going to be long and, um, you know, they're expecting that the, the person who is serving them might not be as trained as they might have been 10 years ago. And, you know, I, I just think that's sad. I don't think people should, should dread service. I think there's a lot, of, a lot of things that we need done in our life that require one-to-one service and one-to-one attention. And that should be great and it should be optimized. And technology has a huge opportunity to optimize service delivery. And that's really what we're all about. I like what you said about this. Oh my God, remember, I, I kind of resent the whole, remember the good old days kind yes. of statement. <laughs> oh, remember when service was awesome. Remember when this happened. I was in a conversation today like, remember when cars were so good, you can work on them themselves. I'm like, you had to work on them because they broke down all the time. So yeah. like, there's a big part of that narrative gets missed sometimes when we romanticize yeah, the past. The good old days when women couldn't vote, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> ouch. Okay, yes, well, all right. There was a lot of it that wasn't good for a lot of people. And let's be honest, if, uh, the, 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 the ability to block out past um, 
indiscretions or negativity is also what allows us sometimes to move forward as a species, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm curious, and this is my own random question. Oftentimes it's said about our, 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 our culture today, humanity today, we're getting actually more poor. We're getting worse at interacting with each other. We sit behind screens. We sit beside our, behind our phones. We don't interact with other humans. So when we do, it's somehow not this perfect architecture experience that we might've made up in our mind. Is that playing out to a factor that allows, you know, maybe what you guys do from a technology perspective? Because I'm more comfortable with my phone sometimes. I'm mm -hmm. using the I or the we here, the royal we, than I am actually dealing with another human. But what Waitwell does, from my understanding, is add in technology to make that whole process efficient. Is it also just maybe where we've headed of that interaction of like, maybe I am actually better dealing with my tech than I am with another human being just because I practice more? Um, I think that's very true, especially for the younger generations, the um, the uh, the Gen Z and after. They they would rather send a text message than have a phone call. I mean, my, my, my daughter in particular, if you ask her to, to call somebody to arrange something, she'll, she looks at me like I have three heads. Why would I call them when I- Why don't you just call them? them? What? what? Why? <laughs> Look my, my daughter calls me sometimes to say, did you see my text? And I'll say, no, I haven't seen it yet. I've been in a meeting. What does it say? Well, just read the text and then she'll hang up. Click. <laughs> Uh, the nuance of the difference of, of, of um, gener generational changes and kind of impacting. You guys have been around since, I think, September 2020. So the, the, the COVID had really just kind of got started to sink its teeth in. And if my understanding is correct, you were in a frontline, you own a frontline type business where this was a real problem that you need to solve. Was COVID the catalyst for you that kind of went from being a business owner to being a tech founder, uh, tech leader kind of? And we'll talk a little bit about even that journey. Well, it's kind of funny because that's the story that I generally share. And I guess at the end of the day, that was the thing that um, was the catalyst to actually um, motivate me to to to, to, to get the, the Steves, uh, my two business partners on board and to create Waitwell. But the truth is I actually started looking at a key management system back in 2015 after I bought East Calgary Registry, um, which mm, is the okay. Alberta Motor Vehicle Registry that- It was broken before COVID showed up is what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> it was, it was. So some of the things that I would see is, you know, so we would have a really busy day and there'd be a hundred people in the office. And, you know, I would, uh, we had a paper ticket system, so people would walk in, you know, like the old-fashioned oh, deli shop have, or whatever. We have fond memories of like, did you get your ticket? I'm like, I don't know. Did I? Did I? Where's the ticket? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. The tickets <laughs> caused so much um, chaos in the office because people would walk in and they'd see how long the wait was. So they would see the, the number on the ticket was, say, 98, and they would look at the screen and it would say, now serving 35, and they'd say, oh, that's going to take forever. So then what they would do is start looking for a, a ticket with a smaller number on the floor and they would oh, pick wow. up tickets. I've never done that. Floor. I feel I feel like I missed out on a hustle there. Because <laughs> people just throw the tickets on the floor. It was really um, not an ideal situation. But the thing that was the most frustrating about it was it wasn't the wait. I mean, people understand. They don't expect to walk into a motor vehicle office and just be served immediately. The thing that was really frustrating was that I would go around the office and, try and see what people were there for, see if I could expedite anything, if they had a quick question. Mm -hmm. And so many times they were there just for a quick, they did just have a quick question. Or they were there for a service that we didn't do. You know, they'd be waiting for a passport application. We don't do passport. That's federal government. Forty-five minutes later, you get to the queue and like, exactly. I'm sorry, you're at the wrong place. Like, that's exactly. a scene from many a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible experience. Or they would be waiting for, let's say, a, a marriage license. Well, there's a long form you have to fill out for that. So they would be waiting to get to the counter to be given a form and asked to sit down and fill out the form. 
Um, so there were so many opportunities that I saw where, what if people just have a quick question? What if they need some information before they can even access the service they're looking for? What if they're here for the wrong service? Um, what if they're here for a service that only one staff member can do and that person may not be available today? And so that's really the problem that I was trying to solve. It wasn't just let, get rid of lineups. It was how can we optimize service so that it's faster, it's more efficient, it's a better experience for customers, but also a better experience for staff. Well, any business owner listening, like, you know, fall in love with your customer's version of the problem. But in this case, your problem, and their problem are very intertwined in terms of your efficiency as your ability to run the business and every single customer not loathing or going like, oh, that went, that went better. That was great. That was actually helpful, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is such a, you know, back to the point of like, remember when customer service was great and helpful? Uh, was technology, the, like, thinking back 2015, 2016, 2017, technology has been around and obviously so many things have advanced because of like, oh, the technology is now accessible. Yes. It's now cost, it makes sense. Was that, you know, thinking back to, you know, even 15 to 20 when the, those five years when you were staring headlong at the problem, was the technology available? Like what, what were the limiting factors back then? The, the most important limiting factor was actually on the customer side. So I actually okay. did some research to find out how many of my customers had a cell phone. And I found out that more than 90% of them had a cell phone, but a lot of them didn't have a data plan or they didn't have unlimited um, texting. So they were basically using their phone as, you know, as, as an iPad, the way, the way children, when they get their first device, often do. Um, so it, it meant that they didn't really, although they might be able technically to use the system, they didn't have the, the um, data that they would have needed to interact with it. So that was kind of the main concern. And then um, it was also, um, I was concerned about the elderly population being able to access it because as a as a provider of government services on behalf of the Alberta government, we had to make sure that it was accessible to everybody. It had to be inclusive. Yes. I appreciate that. It's so easy to think everyone's using it when you are, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, everyone uses the way I use it. No, that's just how you use it. Exactly. So that was probably the reason that we didn't move forward with it in 2015. Um, but the other thing is that the key management systems that were out there, although they did solve a lineup problem, they didn't offer the other functionality that I was looking for that would really help to optimize service. So for example, what if somebody has a quick question? If they get in line for this service, can we then give them tailored communication to make sure that they have the form that they need to fill out ahead of time, that they know what documents are going to be required so that they're not wasting 45 minutes waiting for something that we're not going to be able to help them with. And so those were some, some of the examples of the types of features that I was looking for that would actually go beyond just getting rid of a lineup towards optimizing service delivery. Is that in your mind an example of like, I'm a tech company running around going, hey, there's lineups over here, I'm gonna solve a lineup problem. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really understand the core problem not only the customer was facing, but the business was facing. To me, that feels like a value proposition or certainly an opportunity you had because you were the customer solving the problem as well as the user versus you know a group of tech-focused founders that you can drive by and see a problem when there's a lineup out the door at the registry down the street from my house. But there's a risk that I didn't really fully understand what I was trying to solve for. It sounds like the fact that you were that close to it also was a part of a, of the value proposition that allowed you to create a more robust solution. I, I think that that's exactly what our what our competitive advantage was. I yeah. really understood service, and I you know I had been doing this for I think by the time we we launched Waitwell, I had already been running the registry for six years, and so I had a really good understanding of what the frustrations were on the customer side what the frustrations were on the staff side, the kind of support that the staff were looking for. Um, one of the biggest challenges for COVID for service organizations was staffing. 
So staff turnover became a huge problem for a lot of business operators. And I knew that one of the things that that really caused a lot of stress for my staff was looking at lineups, dealing with the crowded waiting room, you know, concern about social Well, it's the wave that's forever coming at you, right? Yes. (laughs) You look up and, uh, uh, like that causes a fight or flight sensation that doesn't go away and that's not sustainable. Yes. And so just clearing out the waiting room and giving people the opportunity to wait outside, wait in their cars, go to Tim Hortons um, so that it wasn't so crowded. It also brought the noise down a lot, which reduced their stress levels a lot because they weren't having to yell through plexiglass um, at the the customers that they were trying to take care of. Um, And then the other thing is the quick questions. You know, everybody has a quick question. You go into the bank, you need a bank draft, you need it in U.S. funds, you're not sure if the bank can do that. Um, You don't want to wait for 40 minutes to find that out, but you also don't want to interrupt the customer ahead of you. I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing. Kind of do. Can I just can I just jump in here for two seconds? I just have a simple question. Exactly, but nobody really likes to get be, back in line, man. What are you doing? Come doing on! That, but a lot of people will, and so and that causes a lot of stress for the frontline service delivery staff as well, because then they're they're trying Bad to take human, care of humans behaving badly. Yeah, exactly. So the, those were some of the features that I was looking for that I, I knew would really take a lot of the burden off of of my team and make their jobs just a little bit easier. And it, it was really critical for me back in 2020 because when things opened up again in, I think it was May, June, um, it, the doors opened and thousands of people flooded and all of a sudden everybody well, wanted backlog. to do all of the things that they hadn't done during the lockdown. And I could not keep staff. It was really, really difficult for me to, to keep the counter staff. And I, you know, that's a huge burden. Um, it's a it's a huge weight uh, to deal with knowing that the, the people who are working in your organization are dealing with stress beyond what uh, you know what they should be dealing with. I'm hearing like uh, so many so many interesting paradigms. When I'm thinking about listening to you talk about being so close to the business and deeply understanding at its core level, this is this is what's broken at the layers that it's broken at. Just thinking about your journey as a tech founder. And thinking about so many people I talk to in their businesses that know their business, they are subject matter experts, but they're not technology experts. And they feel that like, ah, I understand. And I've met a lot of tech founders that like, we started this thing, we were going to solve this problem. We got a handful of customers and realized we were solving for the wrong, we didn't actually understand. So I find it an interesting balance. Maybe if you want to share a little bit like the becoming a tech, you were a business owner who understood a problem that now became a tech founder. And I think that I feel in my experience, my conversations, that can be a huge barrier of like, well, I don't understand technology, so I don't even know where to turn to start solving a problem that I'm incredibly intimate with because this is my business, my profession, my chosen area. Talk to me a little bit about your own journey of like the balance between being a business owner to becoming a tech founder and like tell me if I'm even saying that correctly. <laughs> um you know, it's funny because I actually fell into being a business owner as well. So I was actually my first career <laughs> as well, as well as, as a teacher. I, I taught at Bow Valley College for 15 years. I did see that. I was creeping on your LinkedIn. I did see that online yeah. instructor. And, I taught uh, ESL. Um, great school. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Bow Valley College. I think that they do so much in the city to to really um, support and, and elevate people, um, illuminate pathways, and um, I just I just think it's a marvelous organization. Um, but I was quite happy doing that. And then we sort of land, we ended up buying this registry. It turned out that it was better for me to run it than it was for my partner. And uh, I didn't know anything about running a business. I didn't know how to do a spreadsheet. I didn't know how to run payroll. I didn't know anything about bookkeeping. 
Um, I didn't know how to hire somebody. Like, I, I really just didn't know anything about running a business, and I had to kind of hit the ground running. Well, there's one way to find out, H.M. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's one way to learn. So, so can you swim? No, here's reason, the deep end of the pool, splash. Yeah. <laughs> it works. It's one way to do it. Um, but I think for that reason, becoming a tech founder was maybe a little bit less um, of a mm. jarring than it would have been for others. So, you know, I still, I don't bristle at it, but, you know, when people say tech founder, I'm like, do they know that? <laughs> <laughs> do you have a little, does your imposter syndrome light go off yes, a little bit? <laughs> what? of course. Did, sorry, are you, are you, sorry. Oh, sorry, you were talking to me. Oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> of course. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best person in the, in the organization to talk about the tech stack with. Um, I've, you know, I've been doing this for three years and, and I, I can fumble my way through it, but that's not my skill set. That's not what I bring to the table in this partnership. So I'm lucky to be partnered with, um, I call them the two Steves. So um, one of them is Steve Vandermeulen, who you've talked to before. He's our CEO. And Steve Drew, who's our um, chief technical officer and has written most of the code for, for Waywell. We only just brought on a second developer in the last few months. Um, so I remember I'm when really I talked to Steve, he, he walked me through how lean you guys have been in, in yeah. terms of the build. Yeah, he yeah. did share that with me. But that, that, that relationship is really strong between the three of us, and there's a lot of trust there. And you know the, what, it, what it boils down to is that I don't need to be a technical expert. I don't need to know how to write code. Um, I can rely on my partners for that, and I think that's really been a huge source of the success for, for Waywell. And you know they, they look to me for... Um, for, for marketing and also for initially, at least, for being really the subject matter expert when it came to service delivery. So when it came to looking at that code or looking at the interface of like, this is how the user is actually going to experience, that's where uh, clearly your value would have been uh, irreplaceable in terms of like, well, actually, no, this is this is a roadblock. Or so many times I've, I've dealt with technology where it's like, oh, this is amazing. And you're like, ah, oh, but from a user's perspective, like I just ran into a wall and I just ran into another, another wall. I'm assuming that's also what set you up for success was you being able to navigate it with a lot of empathy from your staff's perspective, from the business perspective, and more importantly, from your customer's perspective. Sure. Yes. And then being able to pilot it in a live situation. So one of the funny things that happened, I think we'd been using it for three to five days. Um, I had my son, I think he was about 15 years old at the time, and he was working on the door. So he was the person that would tell everybody where to, to stand in line. I mean, it was back in the days where there was tape on the sidewalk and everybody had to stand six feet apart. And uh, so then the motor vehicle system, the, the government database actually crashed. And it was about awesome. an hour before, yes, awesome. Um, about an hour before closing. and. So we had to let everybody know that we weren't going to be able to take care of them, but we had no way of doing that because everybody was now sitting in their cars. If they'd been in a physical lineup, we just would have shouted, sorry, come back tomorrow. But because they were all sitting in their cars or they'd gone to the Tim Hortons, which is what we had told them to do, we had no way of communicating with them. So we needed to come up with a an alert feature really quickly. And uh, so um, Steve Drew ended up developing that overnight. So the next day we had an alert feature. So just the ability to... Necessity is the mother of all inventions. Yes, <laughs> just being able to test in real time and have um, one of the founders there seeing what was working and what wasn't working really helped us to develop our, our product at turbo speed. <laughs> turbo speed, I love it. Uh, it, seems, it seems so obvious to state, but how critical from your perspective now, talking to... So there's a, there's a, there's other early stage tech founders that are listening to this episode right now. And they're going, wow, I don't have that 
that sandbox. I don't have that going concern business that, you know, I might not even have my first customer yet. What advice do you give them? Like, do you go out and like find it at all costs? Like I'm hearing the formula to your success being so much about, I had the idea, I had the, we had the pain, we understood the customer, but we also had an environment for rapid prototyping and testing where we got brutally real-time feedback. What do you tell a tech founder who maybe doesn't have that in place yet or, or needs to? I would make it the number one priority. I don't think there's anything more important. Um, the uh, the people at Alberta Innovates have been really great at, at helping us with uh, different programs, and I know they have a product demonstration um, program grant. Um, nice. I, th I think it's just it's just critical to find that first user, even if you don't make a dollar off of them, even if they're not ready to pay, even if they're not sure they want it long term. I think it's just really critical to find that initial user. Well, that's the old joke. If you want, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. Isn't it? I think I've heard that from a startup founder before. Sometimes going out there, and you know, people do love giving their opinion. That people do love being the be positioned as the expert witness. Like don't don't underestimate people's own uh, desires to participate in something and tell you what they think. Yeah, <laughs> I think sometimes we're scared to ask. So there's there's actual research that shows that people like you more if you ask them for a favor. If you ask them for something that actually makes them, and people think it's exactly the opposite. People think, well, no, they're, they're going to like me if I help them. But the truth is that there's something about somebody asking you to help them that, that makes you want to help them. Um, so I, I think that that, I think that that, that has to be the number one priority. You know, very early on after we, we had, we had East Calgary registry using it, we had a couple other registries that had jumped on board as well. And so I remember saying to an early stage mentor that we had product market fit. He laughed and he said, no, you don't have product market fit. You, you talk to me when you have a hundred customers using your product, then you can say you have yeah, product market so. fit. But that first one really is very important. But you basically had a bit, you had, you had some, a beta, you have beta testing environments. Yes. Curious funding, self-funded, bootstrapped, sounds like that could be the case here? <laughs> we, we were able to bootstrap for the first year or so. Okay. Um, it was just the three of us. It was just myself and the two Steves. And then uh, we brought on um, an assistant early on who is with us now. She's our director of customer success. Um, but yes, we did bootstrap for the first year. We didn't do a funding round until November 2021. So we it was about a year and a half, actually, before we did our first seed uh, day round. Give us a little bit, like nuts and bolts. What what did that look like? Was it friends and family? Was it people? Uh, and curious, like how much how much seeding of that did you do in advance? Were there people just waiting for the chance to jump in, or like talk to us a little bit? Because that's a scary time, and that's a big can be often the make or break. Yeah, for a lot of, nobody. Well, there's nobody many make waiting. or breaks when you're on the startup <laughs> journey, right? <laughs> nobody was asking us at that point if we wanted to open a round. Um, <laughs> okay, just I was just in case there was a lineup, it would have been ironic, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of how it goes. I think when you when you don't need the money is when people are lining up to give it to you. Mm. Um, we actually, so we opened our round in November 2021 at Startup TNT. And okay. oh, nice. so we were, um, we actually ended up winning Investment Summit 4 from Summit Oh, I TNT. think I actually remember that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. I uh, <laughs> love those people. What they're doing in the city is phenomenal. Um, they've done so much, I think, to, you know, shine a light on the startup startups in the city you know provide some of that early stage capital um, they made it and, accessible and too from both sides right for, for founders and investors to get involved mm -hmm. yes it's just it's just a really amazing organization we're huge fans of what they're doing um, but we actually opened our round on the stage the the finale night in november of 2021 
and it took about six months to close. It you know the, we didn't realize how much um, how much due diligence and how much legal work is involved in closing even a small round. But we raised. What was your first round? What was your target? It was a million. Okay. And we just hit that. Um, and then we started doing some hiring. We started doing a little bit of scaling. We started landing some customers in the states, which was really the goal of that first round. Mm-hmm. Is to, was to put some money into marketing and to put some money into Was travel. that one of your, like from the roadmap perspective that investors wanted to know, okay, what are you gonna do with the money? Uh, US-based clients, that was was that top, top of the list? That was top of our list. I think investors generally are just looking for revenue. Like where you, <laughs> what, what, how many new customers are you gonna get? <laughs> we trust you to know where to go find it, but we need you to find it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that was, a, it's always been, it's always been our goal is to go into the States, especially these days with the uh, dollar being what it is. The US dollar is just, Yes, come on. The DMV makes make it, it shows up in movies. Like we as Canadians, we all know what the DMV is from movies we've watched. Yeah, <laughs> and there's always somehow it's played up as this way, like this horrendous environment. So I, I think Steve and I even joked about that. I'm like, oh, the DMV. <laughs> so t- today, as we're recording this, is the first day that uh, people in Nevada are able to book their DMV appointment through Waitwell. So we just congratulations. Opened, thank you. We just opened that up this morning, and so we're really excited about that. We are. Oh, I love. I love real time news. This is not a cut bleeding edge news station, but we got some cutting edge news today. I love it. Which you is do, two months old or like six weeks old news. by the time people hear about yeah. it. Yeah, breaking news. Breaking news from six weeks ago. But right now, it's very. That's very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. How was uh, getting back? Okay, I want. I don't. I can jump forward too quickly. I don't want to lose sight of that. Like so, that due diligence process. What were they after? Like if you're, you know, giving yourself advice now, wow, we should have had this information more clear. Like what was some of the real nuts and bolts or was there anything that those investors wanted to know that kind of surprised you? You're like, oh, that's actually what you want to know about? I thought you want to know about this. Um, that's a really good question, Tyler. I think they're very interested in who we were and what we had done before. The team. Yes, the, the team. team. Like they say, you know, there's, there's, there's tech, traction, team. Um, there's another T I'm forgetting there, but I, I think the team was probably the thing that people were the most interested in. Um, and then of course they want to know, you know, what are the projections and what, what assumptions, what data have you used in order to make these projections? You know, you can have a really great looking pro forma, but where did, you know, how did you build it? What assumptions? That is a crystal ball exercise for sure. Yeah. And did they, did you get pushed on, you're too conservative? Did you get pushed on your... This your sandbagging, or was it like, yes. come on, where did you make these numbers up from? Like, did you did you get some some pushback on some of that, good or bad, or even, well, I don't know. There's no such thing as good or bad, just pushback. We've we've definitely been been the, the word sandbagging has come up lots of times, but I mean we we are very conservative people. Jen, I don't know you very well, but I know I met Steve. You you both seem like you keep your cards close and you don't overplay your hand, but I don't know either of you that well. <laughs> um, we're very conservative. I mean, I I'm, I come from a small business background. You know, when you when you have a small business and you don't have investors and you don't have access to a lot of capital you're really careful with with what you have and you you you, you plan very carefully you treat, every, you treat every dollar like it's your own because it is <laughs> yeah so we we have um three straight years of meeting or exceeding our goals when uh when it comes to revenue and you know we don't we don't want to miss and so we are careful to set goals that that we know that we can achieve um but we also have massive growth plans for the future Fantastic. When it comes to that roadmap, how much has that evolved from that first round to now, even in terms of because, and what, what and maybe curious, always what everyone knows, what's your roadmap to teacher milestones? Do you have a specific framework to, to use OKRs? Do you use, do you have any kind of formula that, you know, even listening sometimes in that startup phase, it's a little bit of chaos. What did you use to kind of wrangle that in a little bit? Did you have a formula or a set, you know, approach maybe in terms of laying out your, your roadmap? 
Oh, those those are more questions for our CEO, to be honest. He's the uh, oh, nice, excellent, <laughs> excellent leadership. Like, you know what? I'm not the best person, but I can hook you up with someone who can answer those questions for you. <laughs> I can certainly connect you. <laughs> Fair, fair, fair enough. So, from your perspective, well, I, I've been, I've been, I've been filling some space before I got to play in the CMO space because as a marketer, I'm always curious about that story. How has that story evolved from the early days till now in terms of how you've been messaging it? I was on your website this morning, and I'm not sure how recent it is, but it's succinct, it's clear, it's to the point. It feels like it's evolved since last time I looked, but I don't have a before and after. Oh well, thanks for saying that, Tyler. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very much self-taught. I don't have the benefit of having years and years of experience in marketing. Um, but it's something that I really, really love because it gives you, it really allows you to use both sides of your brains, you know, the very, mm. um, the very analytical numbers, um, KPI side, and then also the very creative side. And I think that's what I really love about it. And I'm also a person who I think, you know, maybe goes a bit against the grain because people, you know, th often people say that people hate change. And I think that that's fairly common. A lot of people are really change averse. I love change. I don't like things to be the nice. same. I think that comes from my background. I was raised as an expat kid. And uh, we, you know, we moved, we often moved every year there. I think the longest I ever stayed anywhere. Oh, so was change was just, you, you didn't call it change. You just called it the world. You, it's just, it yes. was just the world you lived in. Yeah, exactly. Right? That was just, that was just what I, what I knew. Um, it was, if we didn't, if I didn't start a new school in September, that almost felt kind of strange. <laughs> and so and so marketing is a really good place for somebody like that because as you know as a marketer things change month to month day to day the the way that we are approaching marketing today is so much different than how we did 10 or 20 years ago um, or even how we did two years ago and yes, so it's a really good environment for me because i really like to i like the challenge of sort of navigating a a, a changing landscape from an ICP or ideal customer profile or just who your stakeholders, you've obviously got the end user and an adoption and understanding that, oh, I can now, I'm in Nevada and I can now do this. So there's there's that messaging. And then there's also the messaging to business owners. Other people like you, and they might own multiple locations. It might be you know regulated in different ways. How has that balance been for you in terms of really streamlining, okay, who are we messaging to and making sure to keep those, those, those lines clear, but also it, 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 it evolves over, over time and having multiple masters can be tricky with a marketing message. You know, I think that that's probably the, the biggest challenge that we have in, in marketing here at Waitwell, because for one thing, we actually sell into a lot of different industries. So we talk a lot about motor vehicle administration because that's where we started and uh, we do have some big customers using it right now, um, so a couple different provinces so in Canada. Lots of, lots of proof and validation. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but we're also very involved in higher education. So we do a lot of work with um, schools like uh, University of Alberta as a customer. Um, our, first, our first really big customer actually was the University of Manitoba, University of Texas at Austin. We have a number of schools in the States now using our, our software. Uh, and then another area of focus for us is is medical, because as as everybody knows, there are a lot of challenges with wait times. We have in we medical. have challenges in those in that area. Yes. <laughs> and so we're really interested in in helping organizations, and we do have quite a bit of traction, especially with uh, medical imaging, so X rays and MRI, MRIs and um, blood collection labs, phlebotomy labs. Um, so those that may, that's a, a very big marketing challenge for us because the value proposition for a medical clinic is going to be quite different than for a retail store or a university, for example. Um, 
And then not to mention the fact that even within higher education, for example, you have the persona, you know, we, we've carved out personas for ourselves. Uh, the, you know, the person who reports to academic council or the dean or the president of the university, they're, what they're concerned with is going to be very different than the person who's responsible for day-to-day operations of the Student Service Center, for example. Do you find that in those, you know, you think, well, you work in motor vehicles, we're, we're higher education, that's not the same. Or like, there's always that challenge specifically in you know, kind of that B2B space of like, oh, well, you're in oil and gas, I'm in mining, we, mm-hmm. can't, we can't talk, you yeah. don't understand our business. <laughs> Is that similar or do, does everyone kind of get it? Because I look at if you can help manage the motor vehicle, the DMV, wow, okay, this is going to be a cakewalk for you here, but we have different things. Like how much is it they, have you had to conquer or overcome that, well, we're unique. And if you work here, do you really understand us? Like now that you've got, I'm looking at your little, your logo uh, banner that's streaming across and it shows the diversity, but you've built that. Two years ago, that probably wasn't the conversation. It wasn't as easily readily available for proof. Um, You know, we certainly had to earn the trust of the people that we were talking to. And the way that we did that is by listening first. And so really taking the time to understand, you know, on a day-to-day basis, what are the challenges that you're dealing with? Who do you report to? What questions are they asking you? Um, What what are the biggest challenges that you're having? We got, um, I spent a lot of time just talking to people that weren't customers and weren't going to be customers, but that I had enough of a relationship with that I could ask them. You know, would this work for you? You know, what are you using now? What what works about it? What doesn't work? So we really established that trust first of all by listening. Um, we also do a lot of travel, so we actually go to a lot of conferences and we go to a lot of trade shows where we have an opportunity to talk one on one with people and even okay, attend nice. their get sessions. Out there. Yeah, attend their sessions, hear what they're what they're talking about. Um, connect with them on LinkedIn, join groups that they're on on LinkedIn, and find out what what sort of themes are emerging. So then when we do marketing, we often approach it from a vertical marketing perspective. And so then the the value proposition, the key benefits that we are highlighting for medical are different than how we're doing it for, for retail. And you gain those insights by the, how you engage with them in a very hands-on way. I really appreciate that. that yeah. it, it's There's many ways to quote unquote do research. Yours is very, sounds very like kind of belly to belly or getting out there and actually talking, actually talking with people. Imagine that. <laughs> 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 yeah, we were very relieved when COVID ended because as great as um, as an opportunity as COVID presented for us, and I hate to say that because um, it was a, a terrible moment. Hey, we're, I, I'm all about silver linings. I yeah. look back at it and go, wow, did that actually happen? Okay, what were the positives I can take from it? I quickly move away from the, the negative is clear. We all know how bad it was for so many. I do think there were some changes that happened that were maybe not bad things either. They, sure. were, they were coming anyways. They just got accelerated. I like to yeah. think of it that way. So the very, I think, uh, April of 2021, I may have that wrong, maybe 2022, um, that we, we were able to day. attend our first show and we went to a registrar's organization, university registrar's organization show in Portland. And the very first person we talked there to there was from the University of Texas at Austin. It took us a whole year, but we did end up closing that deal. That's awesome. So it would have been 2022 to 2023. The, re- the University Registrar's Conference. You're, it sounds like you're at some wild conferences. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I love it because of the U.S. You've got such scale that there yes. are these trade bodies that exist for the most. I, I don't want to say random things, but you wouldn't always look at it because we just don't have the scope and scale in Canada that there would yes. be a conference that there wouldn't be more than twelve people show up. But you do it in the U.S. and two thousand people show up for a conference for the university registrars. And I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just I'm just making light of it a little bit. But I also really appreciate going to a market where each one of those verticals has enough mass to make it worthwhile. It's, it's such a big place. And I, I, I love traveling <laughs> in the States. I love doing business there. Um, you know, we, we think we're the same, right? Because we look the same, uh, we talk the same, we, you know, we, we, we dress the same, we, our, our airplanes and our, you know, our roads all connect. And, um, you know, we, we think we're, we think that we're, um, that, that it's just a continuation. And yet culturally, I think it's so different. Talk to me about doing a deal with a, an American university versus a Canadian, the nameless, faceless, but the, back to your point, like what would be different? Like what would, because you're right, I think a lot of times people are like, I'm going to expand into the US and they say it almost flippantly, not necessarily understanding the full ramifications of that, even from a cultural perspective. So what would be some of the key things that would be different between just those two organizations, one firmly affixed here, one firmly affixed there? Well, you know, we, we do have a hometown advantage in Canada, I think. Okay. Um, so that really probably changes things a little bit. You know, we often, when we start talking to somebody um, in Canada, you know, they, they, they really... They, they really hope that we're going to be the leading solution. Um, but of course, they have a responsibility to, to choose the best solution. Um, they, they can't choose a made in Canada. But as a product. marketer, any little angle that helps you get into the yes. conversation sooner is a good angle. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> I'll, it take it. I'll take it all day long. You still have to deliver the value at the end of the day. But if it gets the conversation going, because you got the Canadian flag on there, that's that. I, I hear you. Yeah. But generally, I find in the States, like they don't care that, you know, they, they don't care that... Um, that we're from Canada. It's it's not a plus and it's not a minus. So it's oh, okay. I I appreciate it. I, if if it's not going to be a plus, a net neutral is fine. That's very acceptable. Exactly, right? exactly. And like you said, it's just such a huge, huge market. I mean, they're they're ten times the size of us. If you look at you know even you know for example the city of Chicago, they've got more universities there than you know we have in all of Western Canada. <laughs> scope and scale are they more direct are they more to the point are they less nice do they say i'm sorry less like are there some real deliberate nuances and i'm playing some stereotypes just for fun here but is it you know it took a year to land a deal was that uh, like oh no for sure we're going to do something and then you don't hear from them for three months or was it a little bit more straightforward and does the business did their business sword have a bit of a sharper edge there than i think so those I, are some I think the, the decision making happens a little bit faster Okay. For sure. Um, the truth is that a lot of a lot of the deals that we're winning these days are they're not people who are implementing a queue management system for the first time. They're organizations that are with an existing queue management system and they're switching. And so the conversation uh, okay. is very different, yeah. right? It's not here's why you should use queue management. Here are the benefits of service optimization software. It's why choose us instead of what you're using now. How can we how can we make which your is life a better? very different as a it's marketing company when we sell when we are selling into a customer that they're going to advertise and do marketing no matter what it's just whether they're going to choose us or choose someone else is very different than someone going i don't know if this is an investment worth making for our business those are two very different kind of pitch sale processes yes but also replacing someone there's probably some frustrations and you're probably seeing a pattern of what some of those shortcomings are right so you're kind of are you a 2.0 or a 3.0 version when it comes to queue management as a as a sector as as a as a service i'm not sure what you mean by that well they're replacing somebody i would say that they're probably replacing them because yours is better 
but is has the industry been around long enough from a technology perspective that you're kind of the third iteration of the improvement? I'm making up my own 1.0, 2.0 kind of criteria here. But they're replacing someone who they've probably had in place for a while that maybe hasn't kept up or there's something that they see as, wow, I have hope that yours will be better because you're coming in with kind of the next iteration of the way things are going for queue management. Or am I kind of giving too much structure to an industry that's that's still evolving? I think in some cases people were using a you know a very um, analog system like a, a number mm. a ticket pulling or um, a number that just appears on like what you'd see at the passport office where you know you, you get a okay. ticket and then they're using so see, it's technology but it's still yes. it's technology that almost mimics the spreadsheet if you will exactly. versus going up with exactly a whole new way of doing it, it. Uh, a virtual queue um, so in some cases they've moved from that to a a virtual queue system that's more like ours, and now they're looking to add even more functionality and really optimize service delivery. And so they're looking for some of the features that that we have, like integration of virtual meetings and um, the ability to transfer a ticket from one location to the other, ability to do two-way text messaging with customers that just have a quick question and want a quick answer. Um, So in some cases, I would say it's a 3.0, but I think a lot of times it's a 2.0. Okay. How much is the waiting of the, the how it's going to let us interact with our customers and the experience versus the business intelligence that we're going to be able to gain out of this? Is that always kind of a 70-30? Is it a balance or does it depend on the organization? That's a really good question. I think it depends a lot on the organization. Typically, what I find is that the the data analytics isn't the thing, the reason that they come to us. It's the okay. reason that they end up selecting us. So ah, interesting. Okay. Um, and a lot of times, what happens is that the you know we talked about personas before. So the person who comes to us with the problem, like we have really long lineups, people are really frustrated, our NPS score is low, our, our you know our student engagement surveys are indicating a frustration with this this area of the university. We need to solve that problem. The the person who's coming to us with that problem isn't necessarily concerned with with the data. But as the decision making goes up the chain, that's where the questions, well, would you be able to provide data on this? Would we be able to set a KPI? How will we know? How can you prove six months from now that it worked? (laughs) Exactly. And that's that tends to be one of the places where we we really win. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I really love the use of personas and I think it can be it can be overwhelming for a lot of companies to build those personas and curious and maybe I'm projecting did you just start small we start with a couple personas then we realize there's a few more and how many personas do you have across your business and I'm maybe that's divided even into sectors being you know post being university versus motor vehicles like how many personas do you deal with when it comes to your planning and thinking that way we started with higher education because we were we we know that area really well we've we've won enough deals there and talked to well, a way to people. play to your strengths yeah. how do i take this background in education and turn it into a strength that parlays directly into my new business yeah and we actually kind of fashioned them off of um what some of the the key stakeholders at one of the organizations that we work with really closely the names have been changed to protect yeah, so we've, exactly. yeah. any, so any, we've any been... likenesses are accidental purely it's like when you write the fiction book but it's really about your friends <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea i'm gonna try that um, <laughs> Yeah, so we, we were having conversations like, do, do, do we do, you know, should the messaging on this landing page speak to this person or to this person? And so there was a lot of back and forth thing about it. And it would, it would actually be really compelling because you were asking about analytics. Well, the, the, um, we, her, we, we call that person the big picture Beatrice. Um, so she's the person. Big picture Beatrice. I love it. That's great. I love it. Um, so there was a lot of arguments for why we should talk to big picture 
Beatrice. And then there were also arguments in the room for why we should be talking to the person that we call Maxed Out Maxine, who's the person who's responsible for kind of managing the Student Service Center. And this is, these are higher education personas. Um, so that, that's where we started was with the industry that we do the best. And then we moved into medical and we've carved out those personas and we're currently working on the government ones. So I think the, I would say that one of the most challenging things about marketing at Waywell is that we do sell into different industries and they do care about different things. And they're, um, they're organized differently as well. And even the words they use, the language they speak is going yes. to be a little bit different. And if you don't get that language right, it immediately erodes credibility that you don't really get us. Exactly. Talk to me a little bit about your marketing playbook. Now we're getting into our my by playground with you. Uh, you've mentioned landing pages, outbound, inbound landing pages, very specific, you know, use of voice. Like what are some of the key kind of maybe tactics in your playbook that you've seen work really, really well that might be relevant to other startups that are listening that are like, oh, I've got different markets. I'm not sure. My website is general. How do I, you know, do I do landing pages? Do I do microsites? Like the, that, that dilemma, I think, wrestles with a lot of companies uh, in terms of where they invest. Yeah. We, you know, we've been through so much trial and error. And I think that's the best way. I, I it's the only every, way sometimes. It's, you know, it's marketing is really just a really long science experiment where, and the, <laughs> the, well the, the key to it is to, to know that you're doing an experiment. Right, because you can you can learn as you go and learn from the experience. But the key to it is to say, okay, we're going to try this for three months. We're going to spend this amount of money, and this is how we're going to know if it's successful or not. So you have to decide at the outset. And of course, you you know you will uncover things that you hadn't thought about, and you might have to change the experiment some somewhat. But being aware of the fact that you're experimenting and having dates dates lined up for when you're going to look back and assess the effectiveness and either change course or double down is really important. Um, we have gone from, you know, initially we tried to do outbound and what we found was that because, uh, because we're often trying to convince people of the benefits of service optimization, we really need to start the conversation by building some trust. And so we didn't really find that for us that outbound worked at the stage that we were at. Okay. I think that could be very different in the future. But so far, we're really relying on inbound. Um, obviously, you know, it's 2024 now, so digital marketing is really, really important, and we do, do, we do invest heavily in digital marketing. But we also invest in what we call community engagement. And for us, what that means is what I was talking about before, um, joining LinkedIn groups, attending conferences, attending trade shows, going to sessions, um, you know, uh, joining associations even as a corporate member, um, you know, being part of their their listserv groups or um, or what have becoming you. part of their world. I yes. love it. It's so it sounds so old fashioned, but it's still so relevant. And so I think almost more important as we get drowned out by a million messages and so much noise, right? Yeah, exactly. And I just I you know I'm so grateful, like I said earlier, that the world did open up when it did, because I think it would have been really hard to push this boulder up the hill without having the opportunity to be face to face and in getting inside of these people's worlds and finding out. Uh, what challenges they had and how we well could make make service better in their organizations. Really appreciate the we go out and we meet them where they are. We go to their trade shows. They don't have, we don't ask them to come to our trade show. Kind of kind of mind, kind of mindset. From a digital marketing perspective, is it content creation? What are just some of the like? I'm pushing for some of the practicalities because oftentimes you hear founders talk. You're like, ah, but I just want to know what you actually did. So what are some of the things that maybe if you feel like if you feel if you want to share some of the secrets sauce, what around your digital marketing strategy aside from getting out there and engaging with your community? And I'm assuming there's some content creation that goes with that. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the tactics that maybe you've seen, well through your through your testing and through your experiments? What have you seen actually work that you that you guys have hung on to and said, all right, that's a must do. We're going to do that for at least the next six months or until the world changes. 
That's a good question. Um, we've had success recently. Like the most recent thing that we've done is to invest more in um, some of these online marketplaces that people use for researching software because oh, okay. our software yep. is B2B um, for enterprise, basically. And so what we our, our hypothesis was that people who are actively looking for a solution will be using these, uh, you know, for example, Captera, Gartner, um, Software Advice, GetApp. Um, we'll be using these marketplaces in order to do, marketplace is probably the wrong word, but websites in order to do research about products. And so we've invested a bit more. I in, think marketplace, that, I think that's the right, like in that context, I think, yeah. I think most people will get that. So um, so that's a recent thing that we've done. We set that up as, a, as, a, as an experiment. So, you know, here's the hypothesis, here's the budget, here's the time frame, here's what we're expecting to happen, here's how we're going to judge whether it's successful or not. Um, and we track it really, really carefully. So that's Maxine something is probably not on that on there because she's too busy. But Beatrice might be. <laughs> I think <laughs> exactly. about your personas. <laughs> Very good memory. <laughs> I love. Hey, I could talk about this all day long. This is your. We're, we're in my in my in my favorite sandbox. Yeah. But the uh, other thing I'd say, Tyler, is you know that the first year we didn't have anybody working with us. It was just the three of us, and I I could not understand. You know, I, I would compare myself to companies that were five years or ten years in. And I would say, well, you know, why don't I have a blog post up every every week? Why aren't I in the top ten? You know, why? Constantly feeling inadequate. Yes, I think yes. many money many many business owners feel that way. Like, yes. Yeah. And I'm and I'm lucky because I had two partners that would remind me that we were only six months old or a year old, and that I was one person. Um, and you know, and also running another business. So I, I think that that's really yes. Important. Let's not forget this whole other business that's that's at the time funding the whole party. Really, ultimately, at the end yeah, of the day, too, exactly. Right? So I would just say, you know, for for early stage founders, is mm -hmm. you know, focus on consistency. Um, you know, if your if your goal is to do a, a blog post every month, then you know, don't don't look at companies that have a team of writers that are putting out a blog post yeah. every every other day. Um, but you know, look at them for inspiration, but be careful on when it get when it starts to cause you to be discouraged. Like I think there's a, there's a filter you have to put on that. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. And then you know, obviously there's there, um, you know, there comes a time where you need to bring on people and you need to either bring, build a team, or engage an agency or agencies or both. Um, we're lucky to be at the stage right now where we're able to do both. So we have a team of people, and you know, so we actually can put out a blog post every week because I'm not the only person writing them. Um, or I'm actually not writing them at all. Um, so I think having having expectations that are realistic is really important, and you know, just being consistent. You you don't have to, um, you know, you do, you don't have to compete with much bigger players, but you have to have your plan, make it achievable, make it make it reasonable, and you know that it's going to take time to get there. And always remember that it's an experiment. And if you're testing something, what are you testing? And what's the timeline for the test? And I think test and learn gets thrown around, but it takes, you still have to have the second half of that discipline to do it. <laughs> yes. If you're testing something, I had to VC, like, if you're telling me you're testing something, you also need to let me know what you, like, what you think you're actually testing. You can't just say that. <laughs> you can't just say you're testing. Yes. What size is your team now? Because it sounds like you were, th you were three for quite a while, like not very, not, not very much long ago. How, how, what's the team growth look like? So we're at 13 people. Nice. Um, I don't know if you consider that to be lucky or unlucky. Um, and I choose lucky, but I tend to look at the world that way. <laughs> about half of that is, is on the marketing side. Okay. Um, so we have uh, product marketing. We have a web, web um, content developer. And uh, we actually, like I said, I've just engaged a, a, an agency as well to, um, to undergo a, a larger brand positioning, brand guidelines, and website redevelopment project. 
that, that's a that's a huge step forward. Congratulations on that. Um, how just touch a little bit about how building that team, going from three people, you've all got each other's back. You probably could finish each other's sentences. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, adding new people into the mix, and how exciting that is. But it's it's not without its challenges. Yeah, for sure. I I, I think for me, the the biggest challenge is always that it takes time that you have to invest the time to ensure that the people who are joining are going to be successful and that's why you know we, we actually had planned to be bigger than we are at this point uh, when we when we did our our fundraise last summer i think we had projected that we would be at 18 people now and we're just not because we uh, we know that it takes time to we have to grow a little bit more organically because we don't want to bring people on and not have the resources available to to make sure that they're going to be successful. I really appreciate. It. Is it about headcount or is it about where the business is at? Like that's a tricky one, like headcount. Unless there's a direct correlation, which you're not a service business in that way, mm -hmm. like oh, one FTE equals this much revenue. How much is that is that a direct correlation between where we are in terms of growth and revenue or number of another number of customers you've onboarded directly? to how many employees you have like i'm just talking about the the linkage between those those two numbers how they can one can mislead the other sometimes i don't know what your thoughts are on that um i would say that not having more people puts a lot of pressure on the on the founders in particular and on um on our directors they just take on more than they would otherwise and it kind of slows things down in terms of um product roadmap, um, you know, larger marketing initiatives. So we maybe aren't moving as fast as we would, but I don't know that it's reflected necessarily in the number of customers that we're bringing on. Okay. And that, that slowdown in hiring, to your point about being really clear on, <clears throat> I love what I heard if it's the way I'm interpreting, but setting people up for success. There's nothing worse than hiring somebody and everyone's all excited. In those first couple of weeks, they just kind of bounce around. They don't have focus and they don't know what they're being held accountable to. And I can really, nobody likes that on, 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 on either side. Do you see that as um, like, how, how does that unfold? Like you've, you've kind of got to that point, you've made some decisions to slow up on hiring a little bit just because that's so important to you, which I applaud you for that. Mm -hmm. What does the next phase look like to, are you just at that awkward growth phase where that 13 to 20 is that next leap forward where you create a little bit more structure and hierarchy inside the organization? I, I think so. Uh, you know, at this point when we bring someone on, it's it's an investment of a couple of weeks where I'm not really doing other work because I'm heavily involved in in onboarding that new person. Mm -hmm. um, I, at this point with this with the team that we have and with the, the structures that we have in place, you know, I, in addition to being the chief marketing officer, my unofficial title, unofficial role is also chief people officer. So we don't have an HR function within Waywell right now. Um, so with the team that we have right now, it's, it's a huge investment. And so I have to know that I'm going to have that that couple of weeks in order to really set that person up for success. Um, I, I would I would feel terrible if we brought someone on and they didn't have the direction that that they needed in order to feel successful in their role. I applaud you at that. There's so many organizations that just launch people into the pool and go, oh, it'll just work out because that's how we do it here. I'm like, I just I don't think that works. I don't think it ever worked, but it doesn't work anymore because that that team member won't accept that. It's not yeah. it's not it's not acceptable. I've heard that before, and it's it's actually surprised me because I've had people join from much much larger organizations that said, "Oh, I never had an onboarding plan like this." I won't say the name of the company, but you know, really large organization that anybody in Calgary would know. Um, and and that really shocked me. I thought, well, you know, they're they're a huge organization. They probably have twenty people working in HR. Why wouldn't they have a really comprehensive onboarding plan? 
Um, but I think I think maybe that's my teaching background that's kind of shines through is that um, I knew that I, I knew that in order to for somebody to be successful, we couldn't just hope for the best. We had to have an actual plan, a learning plan. I don't know about you, Shannon, but when I got into business, and you and I have a similar background. I had one marketing course in school, and I got into marketing, fell in love with it, self-taught, took courses, was a, was a commercial oh, pilot. So that. so very so you and I have <laughs> I feel very, like I might have overshared. <laughs> There's a lot. No, I love the honesty. I hope people I'm, didn't I'm, just hit hey, stop when they heard that. I'm not going to listen to this. No, I don't. Well, I think there's a lot of people out there, especially in marketing, that found themselves in the place that they're in. And they do, and that doesn't mean you're not going to do phenomenally well at it. I thought big businesses were going to have their shit together a lot more than they do. I'm not yes. going to, I don't know if you thought that, but I've learned that that was an illusion that I had <laughs> that I found to be hundred percent not true. Yeah. Um, I'm curious and I love it because I, I made this joke before we even got on the air. I'm looking on your, I'm, I'm, I'm a professional LinkedIn creeper and Co-founder and CMO of Waitwell, but underneath it also still says self-employed. So uh, I love, and I this is this is the human. This is a very human question. Like, if you introduce yourself to someone in terms of what you do, do you say self-employed or do you say CMO or do you say co-founder or do you say all three? Um, I usually start with co-founder. Nice. Um, I think the chief marketing officer uh, title. I think I think that I maybe add that in second, and I think it might have to do with the fact that I don't properly feel qualified. Um, Imposter syndrome is a real thing. I, yes. I, I wrestle with it every day. <laughs> exactly, but I but I definitely do feel like a like a co-founder, uh, and I think that's probably what I lead with the most. I think that's probably the the, the persona, if you will, that I identify with the most. Um, <laughs> if someone was building a persona about you, who would it be? <laughs> anyway, that's another that's another podcast. Oh, that'll keep me up all night. Um, <laughs> but the self-employed thing that's funny because you you mentioned that before, and I d- didn't actually realize that that was on my LinkedIn profile. I'm not even sure how you remove it, but no, I, I actually don't feel. I want to go check mine. I'm not sure if it says that on mine either. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't feel self-employed, to be quite honest. I feel like I work for for Waitwell. Um, I feel like Waitwell nice. is my boss. Um, there's there's definitely been a shift. I think moving from I think when we kind of moved past the sort of six people mark was when um, this started to feel like like a real company, and I feel like I work for this organization. I love that. That's well said. Well said. Um, Last question, because you made some, you talked about Alberta Innovates and some of the positive experience you've had there. You give some real shout outs, positive to Startup TNT. I love those guys, Zach, and everything that they're doing over there and Jade and the whole crew. Mm-hmm. I know you do, you work with Metiquity and I'm a big fan of Jacques and Brian and what they do. Yes. So maybe give them a little plug or let, you know, I know that they, they've stepped up and been part of your funding and yes. any chat about being the benefit of finding local capital like that to, to, to help you at that early stage? Oh, I, I really can't say enough nice things about Matiquity. Jacques also joined our board. He joined our board last Fabulous. year. Um, those, those, both those guys, I got I got all the time in the world for both of them. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're good good humans, good, good people. Yes, they are good humans. Oh. I do think it's relevant that they're local because they're able to connect us with local people as well. Um, and they understand the, you know, that the hiring environment, for example, that we're in the, you know, everything from, you know, renting office space to, to finding people to they get it. Um, you don't have to explain it twice. Vetting agencies that, that we might want to work with. They they understand the, the local dynamic quite well. Um, but the, I think the most important thing is just, you know, there, there's money and then there's smart money. And for us, Matiquity is really smart money. So they've, they've brought so much more to the table than just the, the capital that they invested in Waitwell. They, they're a sounding board. You know, we can call them, you know, at any time with, you know, this, this thing's come up. We don't know how to deal with it. Um, and they're just, you know, they're, they're obviously literally invested, but they're also invested as, as, as people. 
And so we get, we get really, really good advice because they've, they've been there, they've done it, they've got the, the experience. And I think that that's really, really important, you know, because a lot of times people say, well, you know, there's so much capital here in Calgary, and there is, we have a lot of money in the city. Um, but what you really, really need at this stage, you know, especially for us, you know, we, I, I'm, th- I'm starting to think that we're, we're moving from being a startup to being a scale-up. Nice. And, um, you know, what, what we really need more than anything is really good mentorship from people who have built really large companies. Um, from from not not necessarily from the ground up to you know the first million dollars, but you know from you know from a million dollars to ten million, and then from ten million to hundred million. Um, and so that's that's I think what's really important, and I think that's why you see these larger ecosystems, and you know, and everybody talks about how ours are growing fast, and they are. We we are seeing a lot of growth here, but I think that the the benefit that companies in you know in the Silicon Valley or get is that they have so much access to not just the capital because I mean companies from Silicon Valley are happy to invest in a company in Calgary as well um, right. but they won't necessarily be able to help you grow because they don't have um, because you you won't necessarily have that that connection and I think that that's really it's it's really the experience that that's important. I love and I've had <clears throat> many founders on talking about like getting money is one thing, getting money that is tied to the right individuals, the right advice, the right support, the right ability to make introductions. There's so many other things beyond the check yeah. that are actually the, the, the features of success, especially at those early stages. And our market is still young in that, in that way, which I think makes it very collaborative, makes it very Calgary, <laughs> very Western, very Western Canada. Mm-hmm. But the holdback is just, there's just not as much, especially in the tech sector. And you say, you know, the argument is the energy sector has been good at doing that for itself for many, many years. It's just more mature. I love that we're on the journey, but there is some appreciation for it. We're still, we're still in the early stages from, from this yes. ecosystem in, in Alberta. Yeah. It's, I it's just couldn't be more optimistic. To, we, we need to be optimistic and we need to celebrate the, the wins and everything, but there's a long way to go here. Um, mm. You know, this, it really is an infinite game and you have to have an infinite mindset when you're, when you're building, when you're building a scale up. Um, it, this, this isn't a, you know, you, you put the money in and five years later you, you take the money out. It's not, it's not a gumball not a machine, is what you're saying? <laughs> I put yeah. my money in and it comes out the bottom? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're, if, if you really want to be successful, I think with building something really meaningful, like a, a you know, a, a big company that, that people outside of Canada know that, you know, that is, you know, no, known worldwide that has, you know, that a unicorn, for example, um, it's a, it's an infinite game, you know. You're not. It's not just about solving one problem and doing it really well. It's about being committed to um, to to constantly evolving and constantly um, learning from customers and you know ex- expanding expanding what you do um, because the world changes and what they what they, what it needed in 2020 is not the same as what it needs you know in 2024 and it's not going to be the same as what it needs in 2030. Are you unicorn building? I, we like to think so, honestly. We think, Fabulous. you know, we, we I heard it come off. through that. I've, there was a little bit of fire started to come up in your voice as you were talking there. I love it. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, you talked just to, to Steve Annamelen earlier um, last year, and, you know, he talked about being in love with the problem. And we really are. In, 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 wait, well, everybody who's here, we are really, really lo- in love with the problem. And the problem is that service just should be better. And there are so many ways that technology can support that. It's not just about getting rid of lineups. 
Shannon, that was an excellent from a podcasting perspective. You brought it all back around and you put a bow on it right at the end. So I'm going to stop <laughs> right there because that was incredibly well. That was masterfully done. Uh, Shannon, if someone wants to reach out and just chat with you or get connected with you, LinkedIn, is there email, yes. website? What's your what's your preferred? What's your for, what's your favorite? Mm. Sure. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm happy to, to connect with any of your listeners. Um, they, I'd also love it if they'd follow Waitwell on, on LinkedIn. And uh, if you want to get in touch about something specific through the website, there's a contact button in the top right. Absolutely. Waitwell.ca. Go check it out. Your website's yes, clear and it's crisp and it gets to the point very quickly. I love it. It makes, makes brings me marketing joy when I look at it. So well done on that department. Shannon, thank you so much for your candor. Thanks for what you're doing. And I think it well represents the emerging tech ecosystem we have in this city. And uh, I love I love the problem personally. Selfishly, I love the problem you're solving. But I really love also how you've gone about solving it. So thanks for coming on the show today. That was, that was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for the chance, Tyler. It was great to talk to you.